0: And all of God's people said, praise the Lord. Lord. Thank you, team. Thank you. I tell you what, get sick more often. (laughs) You did great. Well, I guess we minister out of our weakness, don't we? Uh, Before I bring the message, I want to just kind of have a word with some of you, not all of you, um, uh, after a discussion with my colleagues this week. I wanted to kind of let you a little bit of giving information about when we came to this country, this great country which we love, we uh, legally immigrated here in the 70s, for which we are very, very grateful. But when we landed here, they gave us a car. It's called the green card. It's not really green in color. But we became permanent residents, and we can do everything except voting, and then, at the, a lot of time, we couldn't wait, because this is my boyhood dream, when the time came, I became a U.S. citizen. And I'm told there are a lot of green card holders in this church. You're permanent residents. You've been coming here for years. <laughs> I want you to surrender that residence card and become citizens. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> If you remember my message on the Bride of Christ, that's what we challenging you. As my colleague told me, there are a lot of people here who have really been coming for years and never become part of this church. So, on the 3rd of February, Sunday the 3rd, of, 9 o'clock, is the beginning of a new member's class. In fact, the following Sunday, the 10th, I will be coming in, speaking, and answering questions. So, and, and, and my brother, Mark Slaughter, said they've been shortening this um, new member's uh, requirements and classes so that as many people as possible can come. And so, let me invite you. If you've been a permanent residence, become a citizen. On the 3rd of February, come and join the class. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you will take complete control of my tongue, of my thoughts, of my words, of my lips. Father, that your people who love you, who are here today, who brave the cold and the wind, to be here, that they will hear Jesus, not a man, for I pray that in his name. Amen. Amen, amen. amen and amen. A few months ago, uh, if you remember, in November we were in England, and we had several receptions and meeting uh, listeners and viewers, and one lady came up to me and she said, uh, your teaching is very deep. Uh, I said, well, are you sure you're not confusing me with somebody else? because I never really viewed my teaching as very deep. In fact, I want to prove that to you this morning by quoting from the nursery rhymes. (laughs) Show you how deep this is. (laughs) Mother Goose rhymes goes something like this. Pussycat, pussycat, where have you been? I have been to London to visit the queen. Pussycat, pussycat, what did you there? I frightened a little mouse under the chair. The, 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 the moral of this nursery rhyme is this. There are so many people and so many of God's people who aim at great things, and they find themselves settling. That's the word, settling for the lowest common denominator. They start with lofty ideals, but in the course of time, they find themselves settling for much less. I have seen this through the years among Christian believers. They end up pursuing mice while they could be walking with the king. They end up settling uh, for mediocrity instead of having the power of the king. They have settled in the trivia while they could do great things. They remain contented in a life of compromise, when they could have received the power of royalties, they stay in the shallow end of the Christian life when in reality they could cross oceans. They live on spiritual junk food instead of the royal banquets. In fact, this is the condition of the church in Corinth, and this is why this message and this series of messages is extremely relevant for us today. The Corinthian believers were so lacking in spiritual maturity that they majored on the minors, and they minored on the majors. We have begun a series of messages, healthy living in a sick world, learning from the errors and the failures of the Corinthian believers. I hope that you have chapter 2 open in front of you. I know I have heard this, and you've heard it too, that our priorities in life is an indication of our spiritual maturity, that our priorities in life is a barometer of our spiritual temperature, of our spiritual health. Our priorities in life are clear indication. It's a clear picture of where we are, in our walk with the Lord. And the Corinthian believers chose to stay in the spiritual nursery when they could have graduated from college. That is the sad part. And that's what we're going to learn from them today. You and I know that when a toddler blows bubbles, in Australia and England, it said blows raspberries. But you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about? I can't do it. When toddlers blows bubbles, we think it's very cute. We really do, and it is cute. But when a 50-year-old blows bubbles, it's not very cute at all. In fact, it's very sad, very sad, something seriously wrong. We see people who are filled with anger instead of being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. They accept and they acquiesce to the world's definitions and the world's standards and undermine God's power that's available to them. They easily back off from their commitment the moment they find or face an obstacles. instead of standing their ground and anchoring their hope and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word. They follow false teachers who are teaching falsehoods that are easy on our flesh instead of being willing to pay the price of living the truth of the Word of God. They spend more time watching the tube than watching and praying. They're more concerned about appearances than spiritual conditions. They are forever arguing and squabbling and striving instead of praising and glorifying God. That's a sad condition. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul uses a Greek word for the flesh. I want you to memorize it. It's only four letters. And the word he uses for the flesh here is the word sarx. Can you say that with me? It is translated in the English language as the flesh, but in reality it has nothing to do with this flesh and blood, the body that we live in. We could refer to our flesh. We say it's a flesh wound. But that word, sarks, has nothing to do with this body in which we are housed until we receive a new body, we go to glory. Sarks is a word that refers to the old nature before Christ came into our lives. Sarks is the natural mind before Christ transformed our minds. Sarks is that sinful nature that dominated us before Christ came in. In fact, Psalm 51, verse, one, d- verse 5, David said, he said, by that sinful nature I was conceived, and by that sinful nature I was born. And so did every one of us. We all were born with that sinful nature. But when we become born again, when our rebirth takes place, That sinful nature does not disappear, sadly. Sarks remain dormant inside of us, always ready to move and act and be stirred up the moment the devil and the world sets them on. I know when that sarks raises its ugly head in me, I know it. I know it, and so are most of you. You can look at it this way. Sarks, or the old nature, is like an automatic gate. And that automatic gate opens up the moment the devil and the world push the button. Did you get that? Sarks or that sinful nature is that bridge <laughs> that the world and the devil use to gain entry into our lives. And don't ever forget that the world and the devil are your spiritual enemies. Can I get an amen? amen. Don't ever forget that. But your flesh is the inside agent. <laughs> it's the traitor on the inside. You know, they talk about a mole. A mole is the person who would work for an intelligence services of one country, but he's really working for another one. <laughs> and that's, that's what the flesh is. <laughs> he's that traitor, that agent inside is ready, ready, any time the moment the world and the devil start pressing the buttons. Beloved, I make no bones about it. I make no bones about it. I hate the socks in me. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it. I daily pray that the Holy Spirit of God would fill me to overflowing, that he might drown that socks in me. But that's not an event. That's a daily prayer. In fact, it's a moment-by-moment prayer. I am therefore grateful to the Lord that he has given us three musketeers to defeat those three enemies. He gave us a renewed nature. He gave us His Word, and He gave us His Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? Amen. All of these gifts of God are given to us so that we may live victoriously above the enemies who are trying to get us down. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, in fact, if you look from verse 18 all the way to 2.16, to the end of chapter 2, you're going to find that the reason the Corinthian believers were not united in Christ, that they were not united in the vision that God gave them, is because they've allowed the sarks to run wild in them. The reason they were not living in and through the power of the Holy Spirit of God is because they have allowed the sarks to open the door to the world and the devil to come in. Look at verses 10 to 13 of chapter 2. Paul said, it is the Spirit of God who helps us to learn and grow and understand the Word of God. Now, I want you to remember this. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate author of the Bible. If I have a choice, I would call it the Holy Spirit's book. It really is. He is the author. He is the ultimate author. He held the hands of the writers as they were writing. If you read any of my books, and you come to me and you ask me, what did you mean by this? Now, having written 40 books, I can't remember what I've written. I'll have to look back and tell will figure things out because I'm a flawed human being. But the Holy Spirit of God is the one you go back to and you say, what do you mean by this? And the Holy Spirit is more than willing to illumine our minds. Imagine our desperate need when we go to the Holy Spirit of God, who is the author of his book, and ask him to illumine our minds. He'll do it. Beloved, listen to me. One of the griefs that I have in my soul is that so so many evangelical circles today they are afraid of the Holy Spirit. How can you be afraid of your best friend? There is a fallacy. They read the Bible, which is inspired by and written by the author but they never go to the author directly and ask him to illumine their understanding so that they may understand and obey what he wrote. (laughs) No wonder we are in the mess we're in. I often ask evangelical leaders when I speak to them, well, I say, what are you afraid of? Are you afraid of losing control? <laughs> That's the prayer of my heart, every single moment of every day and every week with the leaders of the church downstairs. We pray, Lord, Holy Spirit, take over. We don't want to control. We want to give you the control. What are you afraid of? Giving up control? Now, beloved, <laughs> this is really the core problem. There are many Bible-believing Christians treat the Holy Spirit as the forgotten member of the Holy Trinity. He's your best friend? In fact, I have a series, Know Your Best Friends. There's eight or nine different messages, and you can download it from Leading the Way app. I can tell you something else. The reason we have pastors today who are going rogue in their biblical interpretation is because long ago they have grieved or quenched or both the Holy Spirit within them, and the Holy Spirit is a gentleman if you grieve him or you quench him, he might not leave altogether. It will be like the fire that has been doused with water, but there is a, a, a spark, there is still a spark there, a lingering flame there. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. When he's grieved continuously, when he's quenched continuously, he will step aside, and he waits until he's invited back. May his flame be ignited in us today. Every single person at the sound of my voice, including yours truly, we desperately need the igniting of the Holy Spirit of God in us. Make no mistake about it, the Holy Spirit of God either takes control or we take control. Why? Because when the Holy Spirit is rejected, when the Holy Spirit is ignored, when the Holy Spirit is bypassed, when His leading is refused, when His guidance is ignored, we get totally messed up. And Paul is saying that the Holy Spirit is the director of communication in the Godhead, in the Holy Trinity. He knows perfectly the mind of God. Therefore, he is the only one who can explain, he can train, and he can lead us into understanding of the mind of God. Look at verse 11. Who knows the the mind of an individual except the individual himself, right? Nobody, listen to me. Nobody knows you like you know yourself. Nobody. After nearly 50 years of knowing my wife, I can never stand here and say, I know her perfectly. That would not be true. As a matter of fact, I pity the man who said that he knows the mind of his wife perfectly. I mean, that man is delirious. He needs help. Even the best of husband and wife relationship still cannot know the mind of their spouse as perfectly as we know our own minds, individual minds. Our innermost thoughts, uh, the deep recesses of our minds, uh, uh, these are only known to us. In a similar way, the Apostle Paul argues here, he said, only the Holy Spirit of God can know intimately and perfectly, the mind of God. And here it comes. Here it comes. Are you ready for it? Are you ready for it? The Spirit of God, who knows the mind of God perfectly, is constantly ready to reveal and illumine our minds through the Word of God. Why? So that we may truly grow and mature. Look at it this way the holy spirit is a flashlight that lightens all the dark areas of our hearts and minds and our lives and beloved this is the same holy spirit that helps you not only grow in knowledge but grow in grace i want you to hear me right this is important please listen carefully this same Holy Spirit who opened our blind eyes and He showed us uh, what we used to call foolishness to be the truth. <laughs> he is the same Holy Spirit who helps us grow in the knowledge of God. He is the same Holy Spirit who is, was the midwife and delivered you. <laughs> when you born again, He is that midwife who was there to open your spiritual eyes, and when you got born again, He delivered you. He is the same Holy Spirit who is our tutor and our teacher and our instructor. He is the same Holy Spirit who is willing to give you discernment, to give you wisdom, to give you understanding, to give you anointing, to give you a favor with God and man. He is the same Holy Spirit who helped you to believe. He wants you to know the mind of God. Look at verses 6 to 16. In fact, in those verses, Paul gives us two reasons why we desperately need the Holy Spirit. Two reasons. First of all, because the natural mind can never, 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 never discover the mind of God or the wisdom of God. Secondly, because God's wisdom can only be received from God's Holy Spirit. He's the Spirit of God. You see, God's wisdom can never be discovered without the Holy Spirit. Imagine a complex machinery. And if you are technically challenged like me, and you try to jump into it, you make a mess of it. That's why they give you all these instructions. And sometimes they overdo it. I remember many, 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 many years ago when the kids were little and I brought a, a swing set. There are 20 pages of instructions how to put a swing set together. Now, But you see, the designer is the one who put it together. He's the only one who knows how we put it together. He is the designer of the universe, he's the designer of our minds, and he is the one who knows the mind of God, and therefore God's wisdom, Paul said, it is hidden. It's a mystery until the Holy Spirit reveals it to us. And he said if people in leadership in the time of Jesus, if they had this wisdom, if they really could discover it without the Spirit of God, they would never have crucified Jesus. But it was hidden from them, and it was hidden from them because that way God was going to reveal His plan of salvation and allow Jesus to go to the cross. Oh, but thank God it is not hidden from the believer who seeks it. It's not hidden from the believer who seeks it. Look at verses 9 and 10, chapter 2 again. Here Paul quotes from the book of Isaiah chapter 64, verse 4, and chapter 65, verse 17. This is a quote directly from the book of Isaiah, directly from the Old Testament. Look at it with me, please. As it is written, no eyes has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God prepared for those who love him. Now, some of you looking at your Bibles, I want you to look at me. I want you to look at your Bible the whole time. But just for this moment, look at me. He is not talking about heaven. Did you get that? Say amen. Amen. A lot of people quote those verses referring to heaven. No. That is why I plead with you Sunday after Sunday, put the text in its what? And in the context of this passage, he's not talking about heaven. Here is a reference to the wisdom of God that God has prepared for the believers who love him and seek him with all of their heart. He is saying that the natural eye and the natural ear and the natural heart and mind cannot comprehend the amazing treasures of wisdom that God has for us. And his wisdom is only prepared for those who love him with all of their hearts. Hear me right. Whether objectively or subjectively, man cannot, 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 cannot discover God's wisdom. Beloved, God's truth cannot be observed uh, 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 observed by the natural eye. It cannot be observed by the natural ear. No matter how sophisticated, no matter how brilliant the mind is, God's truth, God's plan, God's wisdom is hidden from the natural man. It is hidden from the natural mind. But it is not hidden from his children who seek him with all of their hearts. In all of my years, I have seen people normally brilliant, bright, but they just can't comprehend it. Why? The Holy Spirit has not revealed it to them. In fact... God has already prepared these wonderful things, the Apostle Paul said, to his obedient children, things that human mind can never discover. But, secondly, God's divine wisdom is divinely communicated to us by the Holy Spirit. As I said earlier, the Holy Spirit is the director of communication, is the director of transmission in the mind of the Holy Trinity, in the Godhead. And the first step he takes is to reveal the wisdom of God and showing us that we are sinners and going to hell and we need to be saved. Now, God uses angels, right? Hebrews said, Are they not ministering angels, ministering to the elect of God, to the saved, to the believers? He uses them to minister to us. I know he uses angels to minister to me. I promise you. Somebody said years ago, he said, we will recognize Michael's guardian angel in heaven. He's the one who's going to have tattered wings. (laughs) Lousy driver that I am. I mean, I'm tempting those angels all the time. (laughs) But I thank God (laughs) they don't leave. But God entrusts uh, ministering to us by angels. But listen to me, listen to me. When it came to our salvation, when it came to the plan of God for salvation in our lives, he did not entrust an angel with that message. He entrusted only his Holy Spirit to bring it to us. Uh, The Holy Spirit is the one who authored the Scripture, both old and old. And New Testaments. Can I get an amen? amen? Here's the one who was entrusted by God to reveal that to the writers, to the authors of, the, to the to the to the human authors. But he revealed to us that our need for that salvation and go to that scripture. Listen to me, please. While the Holy Spirit may use human agents, somebody who witnessed to us, somebody who brought you to an evangelistic event, somebody who has done something. God uses human, or the Holy Spirit himself uses human agents. But also, the Holy Spirit used human agents when they were writing the Scriptures. There are certain revelations were given only to them, As a friend of mine says, as they were writing, the Holy Spirit jumped in the ink. Verses 12 and 13. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of God, that we may understand what God freely has given us. What is Paul saying? Listen very carefully. He is speaking about the verbal inspiration that the Holy Spirit gave to every one of the writers of the Old and the New Testament. When he talks about we and us here in this particular area, he is referring to the biblical writers who received the revelation and the inspiration directly from the Holy Spirit. It's not just illuminating their mind to understand what is written. He gave them something completely fresh and this verbal revelation is only given to the scripture writers and the moment the canon is closed the canon of the scripture is closed nobody can add or take away from it and that is why in 2 Timothy 3 Paul could say all how much is this all, all scripture is inspired by god it is god's breathed here he said all things freely given to us by the Holy Spirit is talking about the writers of the scripture. Now I know it's fashionable among some preachers and teachers to say, Well, you know, I'm not really sure about the Old Testament, I'm not really sure about the Epistle, I only take what Jesus said. But even so, there are some offbeat theologians who are now deciding from the Gospels what Jesus really said or what the writers of the Gospel added. 20, 000, I mean, Two thousand years later, they're going to figure this out. I mean, these are difficult days we're living in. As John was praying, these are really, really hard days. Well, let's go along just for the sake of going along. If they only want to take what Jesus said, What did Jesus do when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness? You remember that? What did he say? He quotes the Old Testament Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Here's what Jesus said, quoting the Old Testament Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. How many words? Watch this. Watch this very carefully. Jesus said, every word, not some words. Not only the words that we like. Oh, yes. (laughs) Not only the words that we approve of. Not only the words that are acceptable by our society. No. Every word. Look at verse 13. With those spiritual eyes now, I want you to look at verse 13. This is what we speak Not in words taught by human wisdom, but words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truth in spiritual words. Beloved, listen. Whatever you do, listen to me. Whatever you do, do not listen to anyone who tells you that some of God's Word needs to be detached from our lives, or that there are some parts of the Bible where we need to be unhitched from its authority. Listen to me. I know there are some people in this church who are criticizing me when I point out the falsehoods that are being preached. And they said, why do you have to do that? Because there's no shepherd worth his sandals that would not warn the sheep when there's poison around. <clears throat> Dissecting, picking, and choosing— is only that spirit of rebellion of the age. Know it that way. Understand it, please. How can God, and how does God show this to us who are living in the 21st century, the 21st century Christians, by illuminating our minds? I already said, I remember even back in my graduate school years at the university. I remember people who have read the Bible, people who know the Bible, but they have no no understanding of it. They think it's gibberish. (laughs) And those minds of those people, otherwise they're brilliant minds, they're intellectual minds, they're great minds. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has not illuminated their minds to understand what they're reading. The best example... The best example of this is the Pharisees and the Scribes. The Pharisees and the Scribes—they knew the Scriptures backward and forward. Man, they could quote it to you. They memorized it. They knew it. They understood it. They kept all the out—the uh, the outward appearance of it. They were the best, but they missed the central message of their Bible. Their Bible from Genesis to Malachi proclaimed that Jesus, the Messiah, is coming. And here are the signs. Here are the things to look for. And when Jesus came, they missed him altogether. They failed to recognize that He is the promised Messiah, even though He fulfilled all of the prophetic words that are spoken of Him on all of the Old Testament that they proud themselves of knowing. Because they really did not even believe Moses. They did not accept the things of the Spirit of God because those things appear to them to be foolishness. Somebody hanging on a cross is going to be my Messiah. I'm looking for a rainbow who comes in here and and absolutely whip everybody to pieces. I mean, they were looking for somebody to come in and just start chopping people. (laughs) That's what they were looking for, hanging on a cross now. And yet, it's so clear as the nose on their faces about how the Messiah is going to suffer in the book of Isaiah. In the book of Jeremiah, in the book of Ezekiel. Now, these scribes and the Pharisees are like those in church pulpits today and in, on seminary lectins today who uh, doubt the word of God. God's word cannot be spiritually evaluated. God's, God's word can only be spiritually evaluated. God's word can only be spiritually discerned. God's word can only be spiritually understood. And when you reject the Holy Spirit of God or ignore the Holy Spirit of God, regardless of how many seminary degrees you have, the spiritual eyes will not be illuminated. Martin Luther said, the Bible cannot be understood simply by studying or talent. You must count only on the influence of the Holy Spirit. And that is why we believe that God's revelation and inspiration were given to the Bible writers, all of them, every single one of them. But His illumination is given to us, who are not Bible writers, who are not Bible doubters, who are not Bible dissectors, who are not Bible choosers, pickers and chooses and that is why paul concludes with asking a question who has known the mind of the lord that he may instruct him anyone foolish enough to take on this responsibility and the answer is no no But we have the mind of Christ. When we come under, under the authority of the Holy Spirit, when we come under the authority of the Holy Spirit's book, only then will we have God's wisdom, will we have God's mind, will we discern the will of God. When we learn to come under, not above, but under the authority of the Word of God. I was thinking about this promise of the Holy Spirit to leads us to obedience and surrender when we ask Him to, and how He helps us to grow and mature in Christ when we ask Him to. I thought of this historian. It's a true story, historian. This particular historian was writing history, and and he was going to all these little towns in England and and, and asks the the old-timers there, you know, are any of the big names ever born in this country? So he comes to this small town, in this country town. He comes to this small town, and he asks an old-timer and a shopkeeper, he said, "Uh, are any great men born in this town? And the man thought for a minute, and he said, nope, only babies. Only babies. And Beloved, this is true spiritual, in the spiritual realm. It really is. No one, when bo- they're born again, immediately become spiritual giants. Doesn't happen that way. We grow into that greatness by submitting day by day by day to the Holy Spirit of God. As we are filled, day by day by day, but that same Holy Spirit, that wind of God that can pull our sails when we ask Him to, as we live under the authority of His book. I want to challenge you today as I bring this to a conclusion. I often, at the end of a sermon, I stand here and pray, but before We do this because we're all going to pray. I'm already scaring some of you. We're all going to be praying. But I want you to ask yourself the question before you start uttering the words that we're going to be praying in a song. I'm going to ask a musician, start coming up. Ask yourself the question, have I grown in my faith? Have I grown in my trust? Have I grown in the Word of God in the last 12 months? Can I look back and I said, oh, thank God I am here and not back there? I do that every year. But if the answer is no, it's okay. You can start today. You can start today. And that's why I said this concluding prayer is not going to be my prayer. It's going to be your prayer. If you're physically able, you don't have to. We're at liberty here in Christ. If you're physically able to kneel, you can kneel. If not, you can sit down. And let those words, th- those words have been ringing in my ear all week. So let them wash all over you. Let them that be your petition to God, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Can I get an amen? had it to